0: You. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Welcome to another episode of Dad Is Not A Now, changing the narrative for men of color and fatherhood, and changing the narrative on the things I care about. On this episode of Dad Is Not A Now, I want to talk about Danny Glover's film Toussaint. The film about one of the fathers of the Haitian independence from France and the Haitian Revolution, one of the most important revolutions. In the Americas, I know a lot of people talk about the American Revolution, but the Haitian Revolution was just as vital, as well as important in America in, the, in Americas, because that revolution was truly represented that all men were created equal, and all men should be free. So, on this episode, I wanted to know like what happened to this promising film which had cast members like Wesley Snipes, Angela Bassett, John Cheetah, Most Death, and many others, was canceled abruptly, and the estimate cost of it was $30 million. So I want to thank Super Voice Cinema with all the information. So I hope you guys enjoy, like, subscribe, and peace.
2: Award-winning actor Danny Glover initially honed his craft performing in theater productions across New York and Chicago, before going on to establish himself as one of the greatest actors of his generation. He is renowned for his on-screen roles in The Color Purple, Silverado, Predator 2, Saw, The Rainmaker, To Sleep With Anger, Mandela, and of course, Richard Donner's Lethal Weapon franchise. Away from the screen, Glover has worked tirelessly as a lifelong peace activist campaigning on behalf of a range of domestic issues and international human rights. He uses his movie star status to leverage his celebrity privilege to give a voice to communities trapped in unjust circumstances, to help the needy rise from poverty, and to create awareness of vital causes ranging from the AIDS crisis in Africa to the provision of mathematics, education, literacy, and civil rights in the U.S. through endless fundraising efforts. Glover also works as an ambassador for UNICEF, reaching out to communities in Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. In turn, he has become an icon and legend, respected for his humanitarian work on behalf of the Haiti earthquake victims, his work against apartheid in South Africa, and his fight against unjust labor practices home and abroad. Glover is a recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from Amnesty International for his work on the civil rights movement in Namibia, and for his selfless work shining a light onto global causes that often go unnoticed. In the early 1970s, Glover would learn of the 1791-1804 Haitian revolution, led by one of history's authentic warriors, Francois-Dominique Toussaint L'Éthieu. Glover would spend the next 30 years plus planning and dreaming of making a film that would recount the epic scale of the revolution, always working on the story in his mind, waiting until the conditions were right to create a cinematic experience that would finally do justice to the scale and might of Toussaint's amazing and significant story. In 1999, Glover was working on the set of the Senegalese film Batu, which means beaten in English. Glover had elected to accept a supporting role in the film because he felt the story was important and he liked the director's previous work. The film had been written by the Oscar-nominated Jocelyn Barnes. Glover and Barnes realized they shared a common passion for African cinema, and after collaborating on further projects, a creative relationship evolved, and in 2005, the pair would team up to create the independent production house Luvetia Films. The studio took its name and inspiration from the leader of the Haitian Revolution. The company's mission statement was to produce and give distribution to independent films, documentaries, and series that are of historical relevance, social purpose, and artistic integrity. Luvetia Films would partner with filmmakers and producers around the world, and particularly from the global south, and proactively supports the employment of casts and crews from historically marginalized communities in the United States the flagship project for Le films was to be the fully realized Haitian revolution epic that Glover first dreamed of making decades prior, a story that deserved and demanded a filmic representation that would capture the impact and magnificence of the revolution more so than previous tellings of the event had, such as the stage play written by C.L.R. James that starred Paul Robeson and the French TV series that starred actor Jimmy Jean-Louis. Barnes would later tell Vanity Fair that This was a story that I had always been interested in, but the whole epic sweep just seems so impossible to tell unless you could get a big studio behind it, which would be very unlikely. The initial treatments were written by Barnes, and then the screenplay was written and continually refined into a final draft by Barnes and author Vijay Balakrishnan, with Glover saying, ''Tussan is an epic story, comparable in scope to Gandhi and Lawrence of Arabia. This project has become my dream. I've lived with it a long time, it's almost like a child discovering a secret hiding place. But why doesn't anyone know about this secret place? Why can't I bring anyone to it? Anybody who read the story would find it provocative. In 2006, Glover's labor of love seemed finally ready to fulfill its destiny. An ensemble cast was put together of several A-list Hollywood names, including Wesley Snipes, Angela Bassett, Don Cheadle, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Most Deaf and Glover planned to shoot his directorial debut on locations in South Africa and Venezuela. ''I've got a powerful cast,'' Glover told MovieWeb, ''as well as Wesley Snipes we have Roger Guinevere Smith plus a number of other African and Haitian actors.'' Then, in 2007, Glover received the promise of a share of funding to the tune of 18 million dollars from a seemingly unorthodox source, the then Venezuelan president Hugo Chavez. The Venezuelan Congress said it would use the proceeds from a recent bond sale with Argentina to finance Glover's biopic. The Congress's finance commission said the culture ministry would be a partner with Glover and give toward finance for scripts, production costs, wardrobe, lighting, transport, makeup and the creation of the whole creative and administrative platform. UK newspaper The Guardian reported that President Chavez was hoping the historical epic would sprinkle Hollywood stardust on his effort to mobilize world public opinion against imperialism and Western oppression. A Chavez advisor would say that subsidizing part of the project's budget was an attempt to jumpstart Venezuela's dormant film industry, a move common in many European nations as well as Latin American countries like Brazil and Mexico. For a country like Venezuela, it's really the only way to build a cinema infrastructure," said the advisor, likening the Tucson story to other liberation struggles, such as that of Scottish hero William Wallace, whose story was loosely adapted in Mel Gibson's Braveheart. The inherent politics and the source of financing attracted opinion from some quarters, to which Glover maintained that the project wasn't just some rush job of left-wing revisionism, but rather, It was the potential fulfillment of a long-standing passion project that aimed to respectfully and honestly portray this critical piece of the hemisphere's past that had seemingly been essentially wiped out of our historic memory. The headlines made for interesting reading and debate, but the financing effort wasn't as simple as Glover receiving a suitcase full of cash to go and start filming. The financing was only a share dependent upon Glover raising the remainder of the $30 million budget from a variety of other sources. The would-be director would begin to scout locations within 75 kilometers of Venezuela's capital city, Caracas, saying that the filmmakers would be able to do everything that needed to be done from here. He said he had been in talks with the government but was unaware that a decision had been made until journalists tipped him off about the Congress's announcement. ''That's the first I've heard of it,'' he said. He also admitted that he wasn't pinning all hopes on the promise of finance, saying that there was still some uncertainty over whether the venture would go ahead, saying, One of the major axioms in theater is never talk about anything until the deal is signed. There's a lot of deliberation that goes on before something actually happens. And as for the story itself? And the history of Toussaint and the Haitian revolution? Well, for me to even begin explaining the nuance and fine detail of this episode in history would take an entire scholastic year and longer, but the facts of the revolution are so. Toussaint Louverture was born in 1743 in Breda, Haiti. Toussaint was the son of an educated slave and was born into slavery. Toussaint won the favor of his plantation manager and became a livestock handler, healer, coachman, and finally, a steward. He was legally freed in 1776 and married and had two sons. In 1791, a slave revolt spurred across Saint-Dominique, a French colony on the Caribbean island of Hispaniola. It was during this time that Toussaint took control of the rebels. The revolt first began in the northern province in August of 1791 and spread rapidly to envelop nearly all slaves across the colony. Toussaint at first hesitated and did not commit to taking any actions. After a few weeks of observing the events unfold, he helped his former master escape and joined the rebel forces. The rebels were burning plantations and killing many Europeans and mulattoes, which were people who shared any mixed ancestry with the Europeans. There was bloodshed and violence on a horrific scale. Toussaint realized the state of the rebellion was utterly chaotic and ineffective. He criticized the current rebel leaders of being too quick to compromise with the European radicals and thought they would not be able to lead the rebellion successfully. As a result of recognizing this ineptitude, he organized an effective guerrilla war against the island's colonial population. In 1793, France and Spain went to war. Toussaint and other Haitian commanders in Haiti joined the Spaniards in Santo Domingo. It was here that Toussaint was knighted and gained the title of General. As these events transpired, word caught wind across all of Haiti of Toussaint's military gifts and effectiveness as a rebel leader. Toussaint, in this year, added to his name the name of Louvetier, which means opening or opening the way in French. It is speculated that he did this as a sort of badge of honor for his proven military prowess. His success with the Spaniards in Santo Domingo attracted much attention and people who were already formidable agents in the rebellion, such as Dessalines and Henri Christophe. Toussaint would make these two men, who were also former slaves, generals. Toussaint's victories in the north of Hispaniola, the mulatto rebel's success in the south, and the British presence on the coastlines forced the French into a vulnerable position. However, despite this successful allegiance he had with the British and Spaniards, it was only temporary. In May of 1794, He spoke with the French, as they had just freed all slaves at the French's National Convention, which was an assembly that governed France during the most critical periods in the French Revolution from 1792 to 1795. In 1795, he officially made peace with the French. The decision to align himself with different allies made him the recipient of much criticism. However, he maintained his decision as keeping the people of Haiti free from slavery was of paramount importance. By 1795, Toussaint was well known for how he fought for the freedom of slavery in Hispaniola and how his dealings with the French and making a peaceful arrangement had a positive effect on the economy. He took command over the entire island of Hispaniola and created a constitution that would make him governor-general for life with near absolute powers. He elected Catholicism to be the state religion. He defied French revolutionary laws and allowed many planters to return and used his military powers to force the former slaves to work. Though they were considered free and equal, he was convinced people were naturally corrupt and needed to keep busy. The workers would share the profits of the now-restored plantations. Part of the urgency for him to create a flourishing economy and collect resources was because he understood that Napoleon Bonaparte hated Toussaint and his people and saw him as an obstacle to making Haiti once again a profitable country for the French. So, Toussaint worked hard to gather a large army and stores of resources. In 1797, Toussaint was made governor-general by French terrorist and European radical Léger Felicity Santanax. This was not well received by the people of Haiti, as they did not like Santanax's atheism, and what they deemed to be his immoral desire to exterminate the Europeans. So... In 1797, Toussaint drove Sontanax out of Haiti. Around this time, trade between Britain and the United States was flourishing. To capitalize upon this, Toussaint sold sugar in return for arms and goods. The British offered him title as King of an Independent Haiti, likely because they understood having Toussaint's favor would empower them in the war against the French, but he refused because they still supported slavery. Shortly thereafter, now that he aligned himself with the French, the British and Spaniards would be pushed out. First, the British were driven out of Haiti, after saint and the European radicals. The British were not faring well in the war against the French, so they attempted to negotiate secretly with Toussaint. Toussaint used this to his favor and negotiated treaties in 1798 and 1799 to expel them out entirely. In 1801, Toussaint conquered the Spanish portion of the island Saint Dominique, freeing the slaves there. In January of 1802, an invasion force sent by Napoleon came to Saint Dominique. This led to exhaustive and bloody battles, which left no clear winner as Toussaint drove Napoleon's armies back to the sea. Toussaint agreed to a ceasefire which Napoleon requested. In 1803, Toussaint retired on a plantation. A mere few weeks later, he was invited to a parley by a French general named Jean-Baptiste Brunet. Rather than being a conference of opposing sides to discuss terms, it was a facade in order to capture Toussaint. He was arrested at Brunet's home and sent to the French Alps, where he was tortured until he died of pneumonia and malnutrition. After Toussaint's arrest, Napoleon betrayed the ceasefire he himself had asked for. He said that he intended to reintroduce slavery in Haiti hoping to make it once again a profitable country to the French. This led to Dessalines, a general appointed prior under the authority of Toussaint, to lead a new revolt against the French authority. Working alongside the British yet again, as parties of a common enemy tend to do, the rebels shook the French's hold of the land and on November 9, 1803, the French colonialists surrendered. Overall, we learn how Toussaint was a formidable leader and was able to transform the entire island of Hispaniola into a country governed by former black slaves and making it into a French protectorate. Each of his actions seemed to always back up his core value, which was ensuring the freedom of all slaves in Hispaniola and preventing the reintroduction of slavery. He nominated and empowered other former slaves and helped them get involved in achieving and maintaining Haiti's independence, such as Dessalines and Henri Christophe how he impacted the lives of other former slaves directly led to the result of Haiti winning independence from the French in 1804. The guiding force driving virtually all of Toussaint's actions was doing whatever was necessary to keep his people in Haiti safe from the reintroduction of slavery once they were free men. And his actions throughout his adult life had a tremendous impact on the rest of the globe and inspired liberation movements throughout Central and South America and for abolitionists in North America. The passion for Glover, Barnes and Louvettia films to make and release the movie was a determined and burning one based on the following factors. They felt that in the history canon in the United States, students are taught about the American and French revolutions, taught about the Declaration of Independence and taught about the Declaration of the Rights of Man, but Nowhere on any scholastic curriculum was there any modules on the third revolution that happened around the same time, the Haitian revolution. That revolution, it was felt by the filmmakers, was perhaps the most important one, because that was the revolution that tried to actualize the ideals enshrined by the earlier revolutions for all men. And so the question, why is this third revolution the one that's erased from history, seemed to have remained unanswered. Jocelyn Barnes would say, "...there are many people who have tried to tell the story throughout history, including towering figures like Paul Robeson, Sergei Eisenstein, Bertolt Brecht, Aimé Césaire, all to little avail. Considering how interesting this story is and how important it is to world history, this difficulty in getting the story told is truly representative of the many structural problems that Africans and people of the diaspora have experienced and continue to experience. The film business is no different, When asked by the press, what can American residents and particularly African Americans learn from Haitian history and a movie about Toussaint Louverture? Lover would say, bringing Toussaint and the Haitian revolution to the screen is a dream that I've been working on for the last 20 years, Toussaint led the only successful slave rebellion in history and in the process defeated Napoleon's army as well as the imperial armies of Britain and Spain. It's an amazing story in part because it rounds out what we know about the United States and French Revolutions. The United States Revolution brought us the Declaration of Independence, the French, the Declaration of the Rights of Man. The Haitian Revolution represents the third leg, universalizing these principles to all men, not just privileged landed wealthy men of European ancestry. In terms of world historical movements and revolutions, it was actually the most important of the three because it extended the ideals enshrined in the American and French revolutions. The Haitian revolution successfully established a republic based on more broadly inclusive universal principles. Unfortunately, women were not part of any equation back then. A critically important question for African Americans is, why has this monumental achievement been so erased from our history and from our consciousness? So that for me is why it's so important and has been such a passion. The subject is one that would arise whenever Glover made public appearances, as the controversy from some quarters at the initial source of partial funding lingered. You could answer what happened with the $28 million of ta- Venezuelan taxpayer money that has seemed to, uh, to disappear and that were given to you.
3: That's another lie that's going around. I had a woman in a restaurant confront me about getting $8 million to do the movie on Toussaint Louverture. And so I said, said, let me explain, this is the problem with this. I said, and I'll I'll go back to it. I said, let me explain to you. The agreement that we made was was this, that the government was putting up $18 million if I could come up with the $12 million. The money would never be accessed if I could not come up with the $12 million. I never came up with the $12 million. I never got one quarter from the Venezuelan government. That's a lie. That is a lie, I never got one quarter from the Venezuelan government, and that's the truth. And you can say that, so whatever it is, and this woman got in an argument with me, and I said, well, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. I said, the only way the money would have been accessed, the $18 million for $30 million film, was me to get the $12 million that I would raise in private equity. If I didn't raise the money, then the money would be never be accessed. The money was never accessed. So they promote the lie. There's a lie about Danny Glover getting $18 million or $8 million or whatever the number is. But that's the lie. And they believe it. They sit around their house looking at the same information, looking at the same footage, looking at all the same thing, and they begin to believe that stuff. So that's the truth. Every single time for the last half dozen events I've been in, the first person who comes up and asks me a question is someone about <laughs> that we were trying to get foreign sales estimates, remember this word, foreign sales estimates, for the movie on Tucson. We couldn't get it because they, supposedly we didn't have any comparables. Now it's not comparable to Hotel Rwanda, it's not comparable to Girls. a movie on the Haitian Revolution, is not comparable. But those are the only ways in which they were able to see. They couldn't see that maybe the comparable was Braveheart, Gandhi, or maybe the comp- comparable was Lawrence of Arabia. Some of that, maybe that was the comparable, you know, in that sense. But that's in his whole issue. Getting money and funding by uh, is because of that. And the cost of making the film. The film that I was trying to make, which I didn't get $18 million from, the film that I was trying to make uh, about the Haitian Revolution, if I was able to do this film in, at a studio, and the studio would, would probably cost me $80 million, $90 million. I found a way in which we can do this movie, given the relationship that we have, given that a lot of, if I did the movie in Venezuela, then I would have a lot of economies of scale. I wouldn't have, I would have helicopters. I would have my own, a cavalry that we would get at a certain place, you know, and then I would have other economies of scales that I could use in making the film. But on, on the one hand, it caused it to be so expensive. And the other thing is that people stare you in the face and say, man, I like that idea. But they know with the, the cost of the film, expense of the film, plus the P&A and all that stuff, that it was something that you couldn't do under this particular system.
2: In an interview with Filmmaker Magazine, Glover spoke of his intent for the proposed production, saying, ''The film that we always missed is a movie on the Haitian Revolution and Toussaint Louverture. The company is fortuitously named after him and that was the movie that I wanted to do. We've developed a script. We thought we were going to get it done four years ago. We thought we were going to be making it right now. But also there are other kinds of things that intrigue me. We started out with me directing. But the film, for me, is an important film, so if I'm not able to direct it, I would like to find somebody else who is able to direct it. There are several directors that I have in mind who'd be interested in the possibility. I think Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave just opened up the possibility of another space for filmmaking. Glover would speak to Associated Film Press in Paris during a seminar in 2008 that, producer said, It's a nice project, a great project. Where are the white heroes? I couldn't get the money here, I couldn't get the money in Britain, I went to everybody. You wouldn't believe the number of producers based in Europe and in the states that I went to. The first question you get is, is it a black film? All of them agree it's not going to do good in Europe, it's not going to do good in Japan. Somebody has to prove that to be a lie, he said. Maybe I'll have the chance to prove it. The years would roll on by. Levettia Films continued to release films and documentaries with a strong social conscience and in 2008 Glover would say, ''We're still working on it. We're in one of those periods where the idea is still alive and still resonates out there. We just have to get all the resources together to make it happen. And we believe, I believe, it's still a signature piece of our company and a piece we want most to happen. I wasn't the first one who had this idea. Sergei Eisenstein had the same idea. Anthony Quinn had this idea, Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, and this list goes on. And in 2015, after further unsuccessful attempts to raise finance, Glover would say, We're still working on it. We're in one of those periods where the idea is still alive and still resonates out there. We just have to get all the resources together to make it happen. And we believe, I believe, it's still a signature piece of our company and a piece we want most to happen. When asked about the obstacles he faced in trying to get a film on this subject matter financed and produced, he said, You don't want to hear those stories, man. The stories I could write a book on, just on the process of trying to make a film about the Haitian Revolution. But the project is still alive. Every artist deserves the opportunity to create and share their art. And hopefully Glover finds a way to raise the budget which isn't a lot by Hollywood standards, and surely the right investors could raise that amount in a single day. Personally, I don't know how the business works, but what I do know is that as things stand, Glover's long-standing project remains unmade. The story remains untold in cinema. And that is disappointing.
4: To Toussaint Louverture, written in 1802 by William Wordsworth. Toussaint, the most unhappy of men. Whether the rural milkmaid by her cow sing in thy hearing, or thou liest now alone in some deep dungeon's earless den, O miserable chieftain, where and when wilt thou find patience? yet die not. Do thou wear rather in thy bonds a cheerful brow, though fallen thyself, never to rise again, live, and take comfort. Thou hast left behind powers that will work for thee, air, earth, and skies. There's not a breathing of the common wind that will forget thee. Thou hast great allies, thy friends are exaltations, Agonies and love and man's unconquerable mind
0: So for you, yeah, yeah